Hello and welcome to episode 4 of the Cotball Watching Podcast. In this episode we take a look ahead to the Champions League final by interviewing Tottenham fan Aviva of Atlanta Spurs and Liverpool fan Ollie Emerson. With Spurs being the designated home team in the final, let's hear from Aviva first. Here's what she had to say when I spoke to her earlier. Hello and uh, welcome to the podcast Aviva. Um, so Tottenham Hotspurs, Champions League finalists, how does that sound? Uh, amazing, dreamlike, surreal. It's kind of really hard to explain properly in words, but it's it's all the things that's, that are hard to explain. It's amazing. Okay, so um, obviously Tottenham haven't been in a European final since 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, the years since, they've won F- an FA Cup, two League Cups, so, like, do you think it would be a huge surprise if, like, the next competition that they won was the Champions League? I don't think it would be a surprise. I think it would be very fitting. You know, with the new stadium, the amazing, amazing job that Mauricio Pochettino has done in the last five years, the club really coming into its, 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 uh, you know, prime time of its history, its, its glory age, its golden days, it's all that. So I don't think it's so much as a surprise, but definitely it's a long time coming. Yeah. Um, obviously, uh, he says, you know, that it's like uh, the glory days and stuff. And to me, there, there feels like a bit like uh, under Mauricio Pochettino, he seems to have like completely changed the mentality at the club. Previously, you know, there, there was a wee bit of sort of almost a joke about, you know, how Spurs just, they were always like one of the biggest clubs, but they were... Um, they, they never seem to sort of get the get the, the big day. So, like, how, how important is Pochettino being to the club? I mean, all the all the progress that we've made as a club in the last few years since he's been at, at the top is all because of him. And I think that I imagine when he sat down with Daniel Levy, the chairman, and talked about what does Daniel see for Spurs in the next, like, five to ten years, I'm sure that, the you know, the topic of we want to build a new stadium was on there. We were planning for it. And then knowing that it's going to take some time to really get the team where, where, where it needs to be. You know, Poch had to start, start off really getting rid of a lot of players that just didn't have the desire, or the passion or the work um, ethic to do what he wanted them to do. And he started bringing in players that he could see himself molding. Um, Eric Dyer bringing him in, you know, Juan Foyth, um, bringing academy players up and you seeing them shine. Harry Winks. Um, and then making a lot of very shrewd buys um, like... Uh, Toby Alderweireld is amazing by Lucas Mora, you know, Davison Sanchez. All these players were players that Poch brought in and knowing what they're capable of producing. Not that they produced it right away, but the thing with Premier League managers, I think a lot of teams get wrong, is that they try to get they try to get a manager to get instantaneous victories, and that equals success. And so many teams, if they don't win enough games, they hire, they fire the manager and they just keep going. But if you want a team to really make an impact, you need to stick with your manager put trust in him. And I, I think you've seen uh, Poch is the longest serving manager now for a single team in the, in the Premier League um, currently. And um, it shows in what he's able to do with the with the team and the club. I think that's a very good point that you make about managers. Though. There's, there's so often, it just seems nowadays that like a couple of games, four or five games, bad results, yeah. and suddenly they're just, you know, they're, they're gone. Um, obviously, the, there's been a few reports about Pochettino possibly leaving this summer, but 
Do you think there's anything in that, or do you think that's just like his way of maybe releasing a, a, a wee story suggesting that he wants to the, the the board to maybe back him a wee bit more? Like obviously he's delivered by getting the club to the Champions League final, so and he's done that without spending any money this season. So do you think that's maybe there's not really any chance of him leaving, but that it's more a case of him sending a message to the board that he wants to be back? I think it was both. I think you're right. Both saying that you know he he wants to stay, but he also basically a few weeks ago he made a comment to the effect that kind of made it sound like that he can't do he can't continuously make miracles happen. You know he didn't. We haven't spent any money in the last two transfer windows, and yet we've made it to the Champions League final. And he you know it's saying to Daniel Levy, I can't keep you know making you know lemonade without any lemons. I just happened to do it this one time. But you, if you really want me to keep going and, and to really push for trophies, you need to back me up financially. And I think what we've been seeing in reports the last you know, few days is that there's definitely money there and that uh, Levy's prepared to give it to him to spend. And I think now with that assurance, Poch is definitely going to stay. Okay. So on the, on the game on Saturday night, how do you see Tottenham lining up? Do you think, obviously... We, we'd probably expect Kane to start, but do you think there might be any other surprises? Do you think their Pochettino might have something up his sleeve to, to maybe throw Liverpool off their game a bit? Well, we don't have any hidden, you know, we don't have any like hidden cards. We everyone knows what our depth looks like, um, and the question really hinges on whether Harry Winks and Harry Kane will both be completely match fit. If Harry Winks is fit, I definitely want to see him um, in the midfield with Sissoko. Ideally, I'd like to see a four-two-three-one with Rose, Jan Vertonghen, Toby Alderweireld, and Serge Aurier. Um, and then, to, you know, um, the two in front of them would be Sissoko and Winks, ideally. And then I would put Sun on the on the left wing, uh, Ali on the right, and Eriksen right behind, um, and Kane up top. But if Kane is not fit, if Kane starts on the bench, then I would, some people would say to start more up top, but I would actually put Ali up top. Because I think that having Sun and Mora on the wings is vital, their pace, because Liverpool's entire attack this season has has depended a lot on their fullbacks getting forward and setting up plays. And if we can neutralize their that pace with the pace of Sun and Mora on the wings, then I think it will be they'll be hard to to get ahead and we can kind of push them back deeper and they'll be forced to play more defensively. Um so yeah, it really depends on um who's fit and um who Poch wants to kind of save on the bench for the second half. In, interesting as well. Obviously, you mentioned Sissoko there. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems to have really turned turned things around this season. Do you think there's been any any specific reason for that, or do you think it's just a just you know he's just took a bit of time to settle down? Well, I think when Sissoko first came in, he was at the time our rent uh, our record transfer. I think it was like thirty million uh, pounds, and so there's a lot of pressure on him to kind of show up and to you know put in and put in good showings, but. People thought he was going to be the kind of player that was just going to go down the wing and score, and he wasn't really performing well in that role. And I think it took a lot of uh, took a while for Poch to really figure out where can I use him that he's actually going to show his strengths. And putting him in that midfield, uh, you know, a bit more defensively and, and bringing him up further, but has really shown. And when, now that we've lost Musa Dembele in the in the January transfer window, window, you know, we're we lacked it first. We were worried that we wouldn't have that beast in the midfield to kind of get the ball, make the plays, push the ball forward. And he's become that guy, and um, he's really stepped up. And I think the fans have seen it, and we're so impressed and grateful for his his um, presence in the squad. Okay, 
Um, it, on, on the other side of the field, obviously, Liverpool, is there anything about them that, that worries you or anything that you think that uh, Tottenham have to be particularly worried of? Well, like I said before, I think that their fullbacks are something we need to be very um, mindful of, um, Robertson and, and Trent Alexander-Arnold, because their ability to get up uh, to get up and to get the ball in and find, you know, it's amazing. I mean, their assists, you know, Robertson had like, what, 12, 15 assists this season. Um there's that, and also, you know, Salah and Mane and Firmino. So that's what I, that's what, I'm, really, it's all that. You know, all their players are capable of, of doing amazing things. So I think Spurs need to be wary of that and just making sure that they can't get the ball to, to the people who are going to, you know, be uh, clinical with it. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, in the two, the two league games, Liverpool got the better of Tottenham and both of them. Do you think that will have any impact in this game or? Do you think it's just a new day and a new game, or do you think that there, there will be a better mentality? I think it would be a completely different mentality because it's a completely different background. That was Those were league games, one of which was a very close one that we just gave up from a silly mistake from one of our players. So, And in both games, I think we, sh- we showed up pretty well. And um, But yeah, this is a completely different game. This is a Champions League final. And it's not like a team that we haven't really played before, or don't play a lot like a, another Spanish team or like that we we know Liverpool we've played them enough we know their players um and I think that we won't feel intimidated because we have beaten them in the past before it just hasn't really been with Van Dyke so I think if anything that's going to be the difference is that how can we beat them this time with the differences in their squad um but I I, I don't see the Spurs players being intimidated by it at all mm-hmm. um obviously on, on paper, Spurs are considered the underdogs because they were so far behind Liverpool in the league. But do you think uh, do you think they'll be happy enough to be underdogs or sort of feel like the pressure's maybe off them and they can just go and play their own game? Well, in the last few the few seasons when Spurs have finished in the top four, like second, we finished second a few years ago, then third, then fourth, the, the conversation that was constantly being had was that because Spurs weren't seen as like one of these big clubs anymore, there was never any pressure on them in the media where people weren't really paying attention to their games. They were winning, 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 but no one was saying, Spurs are winning, winning, winning. So it kind of took the pressure off, and we were kind of like slid under the radar. Um, and that, that helped because it, we didn't have a lot of, you know, expectations on us. And I think now, I wouldn't even think we're the underdogs. I would think, I would say that we're the ones who, I mean, yes, I guess we're the underdogs in terms of like in the league and maybe, you know, the odds and betting. But, but really, we're just as capable of beating Liverpool as as anyone else. And um, the fact that Liverpool was in the final last season shouldn't make any difference. The fact that we finished behind them in the league shouldn't make any difference um, because this 90 minutes is different than any other 90 minutes we've ever played. This team has ever played as a team. Yeah, it's quite a good, uh, quite a good positive attitude you have there as well. Um, see, um, obviously you're from Atlanta and Atlanta, Atlanta Spurs. So, like, mm-hmm. how, how did you how did you come about to be a be a Tottenham fan then? Or so I'm originally from Boston, but I've been living here for like 12 years. I'm moving back to Boston, but um, I'm actually a fourth generation Spurs supporter. My father is from um, Hampstead in North London, and mm-hmm. his father was a supporter. Our great my great grandfather started going to the lane in like the 1910s, and he used to walk down there from his his furniture factory. So, this is you know, a huge part of my family. My, my cousin has a Spurs podcast over in England. 
I have cousins in Japan who support like this is this is not like a bandwagon thing where I'm an American fan who jumped on the bandwagon. This is something that's like, you know, rooted deep in, in, in my family and who I am. Um, and yeah, when I we moved to Atlanta, um, it took a few years, but after, a few years after we moved to Atlanta, there was a Spurs supporters group that that kind of started up and we've been we've been a part of it. Um, and have you have you anything planned for for the game on Saturday, or he's he's doing any sort of function, or just watching out with family, or? So um, most supporters groups in America and probably around the world are doing all these watch parties that a lot of people have been putting a lot of planning into. I know I, me and my board have as well. So we have a home pub that um, we're going to be watching it at, and we're going to basically be at like max occupancy. <laughs> um, we're going to have like drink specials and like a Spurs a special Spurs like blue shot like drink you can get and um not where you have to be wearing spurs paraphernalia to get in the door um but it's just going to be great to celebrate you know hopefully with um all the people who really really support spurs just like me okay and what are you expecting what's what's your prediction for the game do you think that they think they'll do it or well i have the realistic one and i have the dreamlike one the realistic one is two one that's my realistic one my dream one is that it goes nil-nil until like the 85th, 86th minute, and then Musa Sissoko scores. That that's that's my dream. Or it goes to penalties and Musa. Any basically any any scenario where Musa Sissoko is the winner who scores the winning goal, is is the is the dream like like ideal scenario. But um, I think that our defense is going to be on it on Saturday, and I don't. I would like to hope that there won't be a lot of goals going past Hugo Lloris. I think uh, from from a personal obviously I'm completely neutral. I don't don't support Tottenham or Liverpool, but one of the thing like watching both teams nine times out of ten you'll get a good entertaining game. But my my fear from a neutral perspective is that because they're so familiar, because they know each other so well, that it could be a game where they maybe pay a bit but uh, too much respect to each other, and it might not be the the enjoyable game that I want as a neutral. Obviously, you're not technically going to. End the, enjoy it because you're going to be so nervous anyway but uh hopefully um hopefully as i say it's, it's a good game for the neutrals um but uh yeah we'll we'll uh, we'll see what happens but uh i just want to say as well um thanks to you for coming on obviously i know being in atlanta obviously there's the, the time zone and that there and obviously uh it's thanks to you for coming on and, and doing the interview but uh, hopefully, maybe after the after the game or at some point during the summer, Spurs maybe sign someone. We can get you back on and have an alert chat about it then, and see then. Okay. Yeah, sounds that's brilliant. I'd be happy to. That's brilliant. Um, thanks very much for your time then, and uh, I appreciate you taking the time to, to come on and have a chat. Okay, yeah. and uh, my pleasure. And good luck. Thank good you. Luck. Thank you. All right. Thanks very much. Right. That was Aviva from Atlanta Spurs. So now it's time to hear from the other side. I spoke to Ollie Emerson, who's a student in Liverpool and writes about Liverpool for Anfield Index. Here's what Ollie had to say. Hello and uh, welcome to the podcast, Ollie. Um, so Liverpool, they're back where I'm sure you probably feel like back, back where they belong in the European Cup final. So uh, how does it feel for you? Honestly, uh, it's lovely to be on, Jerry. Great to talk to you again. And yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm you know I'm only twenty, so I come from sort of a younger section of the Liverpool fan base. 
So um, as far as the whole, you know, back where we belong thing goes, it's sort of nice to see us here at all. Obviously, you know, I was uh, six, six or seven when Istanbul happened. Uh, and since then, you know, we've been quite a barren run in terms of European trophies for us, uh, obviously. So, you know, we've got to the Europa League final last the other year, lost the Champions League final last year. So to have another bite of the cherry uh, so soon is, uh, um, you know, a really real welcome relief, especially obviously after sort of the disappointment of, uh, you know, getting that 97 points but still not winning the league because that, you know, unstoppable, all-conquering Manchester City team. The fact that we've coupled that with, with something City couldn't do, well, obviously they did get the domestic trophies, but the fact we've coupled that brilliant league season with another Champions League run, uh, arguably probably a more difficult run than we had, um, you know, the season prior. You know, I think when you sort of pit the teams we played against each other, I think we had a much more difficult group this season, coming up against the likes of PSG and Napoli. And obviously, they you know, moved on and played Bayern Munich, Porto against since the previous season. And then obviously, you know, Barcelona is obviously a team you know very well in the semi-finals. But yeah, um, getting to that final again was, uh, honestly, it was a really emotional night at Anfield. Obviously, we all saw the scenes at the end when the, you know, the players and the fans came together. And I think that was sort of a real recognition of the sort of enormity of that result and overturning such a brilliant team to get to the final again. And it's something that I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of those types to go on about how Liverpool deserve this and deserve that because you know all football clubs have got good eggs and bad eggs and all you know work incredibly hard and deserve you know really what you get in the end. But I think getting to a Champions League final, um, regardless of whether we win it, just having that opportunity again probably is sort of some fair compensation for, you know, having that brilliant league season, yet not, you know, managing to get over the line at the top of the table in the end. Well, the uh, you've already touched on it, but the, the semi-final, obviously, uh, as you know, I'm a Barcelona fan and we, we've spoke a lot of times and I've, al- I've always found you to be quite optimistic. Maybe in the past I've thought too optimistic, but obviously on this occasion, um, Liverpool had had the the last laugh, but what um like did, what what was your thoughts going into that that semi final? Like were you optimistic? Where did you did you think it was over? Like what was your your general feeling about it? Um, I think I was optimistic in the sense that obviously you know uh, when it when it came to Barcelona, I'd have rather played Barcelona over two legs. Um, I wouldn't have fancied us in a one off final based on the fact that you've got those players that have been there done. Like got the T-shirt in terms of Champions League wins, like you know, as we saw in the, the the first leg, kind of demonstrated why I didn't want to take one over two legs. I kind of felt that Liverpool were as good as Barcelona in many aspects, um, probably even maybe even better in some in terms of the sort of the sort of synergy throughout the team. Um, but obviously, Barcelona have got that magic man Lionel Messi, who, as we saw in sort of a twenty-minute spell in the first leg, has the potential to just turn a game on its head and take it away from you, or to the point where you think it's gone. So I was happy that we got Barcelona in the semi-finals opposed to the finals. Obviously, we'd rather avoid them altogether. Um, I, I was cautiously optimistic that we'd give a good account of ourselves. I think the game at the camp knew reflected that. I think Barcelona were the better team, but obviously not by the 3-0 scoreline we got in the end. And the chances Liverpool missed in that game, both at 1-0 and then at 3-0, were really disappointing. But obviously then, you know, at 3-0, uh, Barcelona had brilliant chance in stoppage time to bury the game and probably the tie with Usman Dembele. Um, and it was, I, I know a lot's been made of, uh, I think there's that picture, uh, video of when Dembele misses that chance and Messi falls to the ground uh, in disappointment at the end of the game as the full-time whistle blows and people are like, oh, you know, Messi knew it wasn't over then. I think, I think that's probably been taken a bit too far. I think everyone thought the 
tie was over, myself included, when when reports that Rian Brewster um, was going to make his Liverpool debut off the bench came out a couple of days before the game. Wasn't surprised, obviously we'd seen that Firmino and Salah were both going to be unavailable, which made sort of what seems an impossible mission even more impossible. And then when sort of reports that Brewster was going to make his debut off the bench came out, that kind of sort of confirmed to me that I think the pl- the the clock and probably his coaching staff whilst not necessarily giving up were sort of just trying to take the opportunity they could in sort of a no pressure game against Barcelona to put a positive spin on it listen you know we might draw we might even lose the game but you know if we can say that we gave a good account of ourselves over two legs and get Bruce strong for his debut and then we can you know sort of say you know we have these attacking injuries how are we going to bring it back and obviously the game at Anfield was on another level you know when Origi scored early on I didn't really hold that much hope uh, I was you know obviously happy but given what we've said about the injuries and the fact that Barcelona only needed to score once and it was effectively tie over um, because you know whilst that, whilst yeah, I believed we could put three past Barcelona obviously I think the comeback that most comes to mind in terms of knockout stage enormity is probably a Barcelona, that Barcelona comeback against PSG a couple of years ago obviously PSG did get the away goal in that game, just as it sort of looks like Barcelona were turning the screw. But then Neymar, I think uh, you've got to give him his dues. He had probably one of the best sort of 20 minutes of football I've ever seen you know, in my lifetime. You know, he scored the free kick, scored the penalty, uh, brilliant assist for the winning goal. And But I, I didn't believe that, I don't think anyone really believed that Liverpool had that potential if, say, even if they got ahead, if then Barcelona got one back. I don't think anyone ever thought we'd recover to score five. Um, but then obviously when that, Mad two minutes happens and Wijnaldum comes on, sort of obviously gut wrenching views Barcelona fan, but the sort of satisfaction of Luis Suarez and his antics that I absolutely I, I still love today, uh, but loved him for at Liverpool. Obviously, you know he gets Andy Robertson injured with a little kick here and there, so Milner has to go to left back and Wijnaldum comes on, then you know ends up scoring two goals in two minutes. It's kind of one of those things that obviously it's just a complete coincidence, but it's funny how football and just life can work that way sometimes. But then, as I say, you know, even at three 0 I, I wasn't convinced. I, you know, Messi. I, I honestly think Messi played better at Anfield than he did in the Camp Nou. I think we struggled to contain him at Anfield. It was just, uh, um, you know, the, he managed to get that decisive free kick, and it bounced to unfortunately for the tap in at the new Camp. I actually think his all round game was better. You know, he created chance after chance, and Allison had to make a string of really good saves. I think uh, the standout ones: Jordi Alba made a smart save at near post. Suarez got in, sort of under hit it a bit. And that was Messi pulling the strings. So even when, when it was 3-0, I was incredibly nervous and thought, you know, yeah, Barcelona, it's Barcelona, it's Messi, they're going to score here. But then, you know, as the game progressed on, I'm sure you'll probably have opinions on this, it seems like those memories of Rome the year before started to creep back in. Valverde sort of didn't it responded really well to Liverpool pressure in the first leg with the Semedo substitution. That really sort of put us back on the back foot and obviously led to Barcelona going two and three ahead. Then the second leg, it seems like he too was sort of fraught with the disappointment of the year before and struggling how to react to it. And you know, and then came the corner, and what happens next was incredible. And you know, obviously the, the last fifty minutes after that was, I think, surprising. The, the, the little that Barcelona created in that 15 minutes surprised me. I've watched the game back at the time. I was, you know, obviously on tender hooks thinking they're going to score. I'm probably thinking the pressure was more than it was. But what, what, watching it back, I realised that once that fourth goal went in, even though obviously Barcelona was still, you know, one goal away from being in the final, it seems it seemed done, it seemed over. Which, you know, if you'd said that, you know, an hour before, it would have seemed absolutely surreal. Yeah. Per- 
personally, I always felt whenever the draw was made, I I kind of feared Anfield. I, I sort of thought that you know yourself, you know the sort of stadium it it is, and strange things happen there. You know, there's some there's just some stadiums where whenever the crowd gets up, it is like it is worth a goal or two. And I always thought that Anfield was going to be hard, but I did think whenever Barcelona got a three 0 win, and it was un- undeserved. They they didn't, you know, they weren't three goals better than Liverpool. I thought Liverpool played well. That the uh, company and and probably you know three. There was no way three 0 was a fair result. But whenever we got three three 0 win, I thought you know we're in the final. One 0 down. I sort of thought right early on. I thought well you know they're going to throw everything. And whenever we wrote it out until half time, I thought. That's good. And then uh, actually, I, I know I posted on Twitter. It says that there's going to be a 15 minute spell, and Liverpool's going to throw everything at Barcelona here. And if they survive that, they'll win. And if not, then it's you know it's, it's still up for grabs. Obviously, Liverpool got the two goals to go three 0 up, and I never really felt like really worried until that fourth goal. And then and then I was like, this this is this is Rome again. And I couldn't believe that. People, you know, that like you've got World Cup winners, you've got multiple Champions League winners, and I couldn't quite believe that they could just capitulate in the way that they did. Which, you know, that that sounds like it's about Barcelona, but you know, on the night Liverpool were brilliant, and but just it it, st- it still eats me just even the fact that he's had no Salah, he's had no Firmino, but you know, ultimately he's deserved the win, and it's the kind of thing where like you you talked about the, the PSG game, and obviously you know that the P- the PSG game. Barcelona come back from from way behind one six one in the end, but you know for all all that it mattered was they didn't go on and win the win the Champions League. And after that, Liverpool now have the opportunity. So you know, ultimately that Barcelona night was a was a, a special a special occasion for us, a special night. But you know, obviously there, there's the job to be finished now. Um, so obviously moving on then anyway um, about Klopp. So. I think three European finals now since he's been since he's been at Liverpool. And yeah, so yeah. Um, do you think that the the M finals? Do you think that like the experience of being in obviously the Europa League final the first season and then the Champions League final last season will help, or do you think the fact that they lost those might be a might be like a wee sort of barrier to them? Um, I, I think I think it's interesting. I think uh, a year ago. I don't. I, I. I said I don't think the Europa League final would have had much weighting in a positive or negative aspect. This season, I think that the experience in Kiev losing to Madrid will actually benefit us. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm just hoping, but the, the, the rationale I have behind it is that two European finals, sorry, three European finals in four years um, for the players that have been there all that time, even the ones that were in Kiev last year, which is the majority of the squad aside from, obviously, Navi Cater's injured, so he's probably not going to even make the bench. So, apart from Alisson, uh, Fabinho and Shakiri, who's, again, not probably not going to start, um, there's a real sense of normalcy around it. You know, we've, they've been on this stage a year ago. Yeah, it didn't go well, but obviously it wasn't necessarily performance levels. It was just, you know, things happened and things went Madrid's way and Madrid played took advantage of that well and you know it just went down like that but I think the sense of normalcy regarding being on that big stage combined with the fact that obviously although Liverpool didn't win the league it, it wasn't a choke in the sense that Liverpool didn't come under pressure at the end of the season and lose it Liverpool couldn't 
very easily let it let let Man City just get stretched. Then you know, think we won late at Southampton. It was a tight game against Chelsea until we got the goal. Won late at Newcastle. Got the job done against Wolves on last day. It'd have been very easy for Liverpool to draw or lose one of those games towards the end of the season when City had that lead because people just you know wouldn't have been a bottle. It would have been a you know well they've chased as long as they could and they've grown fatigued at the end. The better teams just got away. I think the fact that Liverpool kept producing time and time again, week after week, has given this team a newfound confidence that regardless of the challenges they face in terms of injuries or matches going their way, they will overcome it. Uh, I think the game against Spurs, obviously poignant, given that's who we're playing in the final on Saturday, was a real good example of that when um, you know we went ahead and then Pochettino had started with five at the back, changed it to a four, and sort of used Danny, Roll- Danny Rose as like sort of an inverted wing back in the false midfield role kind of thing, and it completely threw us, and they got back into it and. Obviously, uh, they got it to one all, and then they had that really good attack with the sort of infamous now Sun Sissoko v Van Dyke two on one. Um, but then, even then, Liverpool managed to keep going, grind and dig out a winner. And I, I think now there's a newfound belief and confidence in this team that, regardless of what challenges are thrown at them, they'll get the job done. And I think that, combined with having the experience uh, of last year, uh, that that I think is going to prove an advantage. I think this Liverpool team will believe that if events conspire against them as they did last year in Kiev as in if there's the key injury early on if there's a goalkeeper mistake I think this Liverpool team has got much more mental strength as a collective now to deal with it and admittedly more firepower off the bench in terms of I'd much rather have Jordan Shakiri as my attacking change when uh, Salah goes off than Adam Lallana was last year I think there's much more mental strength and much more strength and depth off the bench to overcome the challenges that obviously are going to face, we're going to face in the Champions League final. It's a huge occasion. Anything can happen. And with, you know, we've got to give Tottenham a lot of credit there. They've proved it time and time again in Europe this season. They are a very, very good football team. So, with regards how Liverpool set up on Saturday, do, do you see any surprises or do you think it'll be pretty much uh, as expected? Or like, would you do anything different or that? Um, I th- it, it, it's interesting because Obviously, Liverpool-Spurs matches always tend to be fairly tight. I think both teams are very good at cancelling each other out in aspects. Uh, so, whether either manager employs a tactical surprise, Pochettino, I think, more likely to. I think, in terms of Liverpool team, it's going to be 4-3-3. Uh, we flirted with the 4-2-3-1 earlier in the season. Um, that was more out of midfield, not really functioning very well. So, you know, we slotted Salah into that number nine, moved Firmino back. Shakiri had some productive games off the right, but it was never really looked like it was going to be a long-term thing. And ever since Christmas, we've gone back to 4-3-3, and it's been pretty much that and only that. So I think 4-3-3. I think nine of the positions are done, definite. Uh, Alison Becker will be in goal. Trent Alexander-Arnold will be at right-back with, obviously, Andy Robertson on the opposite flank. And Virgil van Dijk will be the left centre-back. Joel Matip will partner him. Obviously, Joe Gomez had a really good start to the season, got injured. Matip came in and took the shirt and kept it and you know fully deserved to keep it. He's been excellent as well. So that, that it'll be the regular back four that we've all seen throughout the knockout stages. Uh, Fabinho will anchor the midfield. Genie Wijnaldum will be one of the two eights. And then it'll be Jordan Henderson or James Milner in the other position. Uh, I'm fairly sure it'll be Henderson. He's moved into that more advanced role that we sort of associated with him four or five years ago towards the end of the season and had some productive displays there. Um, I think Milner's experience off the bench and versatility as well, whether you need him to come on to help one of the fullbacks out, provide some energy in midfield. You know, he, you know, he's 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 the master of probably very few trades, but he's average at them all. So if you need him to come on and do a job, you know, he'll do it. 
So I think Fabinho, Wijnaldum and Henderson's the likely three. Um, and then up front, it's merely a case of whether Roberto Firmino's fit enough or not. He um, obviously missed, the, came on, was injured ahead of the Barcelona game away, but we sort of, you know, dragged, hold him on with 15 minutes to go in sort of a desperation thing. Uh, problems flared up again. We've not really seen him since. Obviously missed the second leg, didn't play it in the Premier League season. He has been back in training. He's, uh, I think, pre- I'm pretty, he's assured to take place in the squad and play some kind of minutes, whether it be off the bench or starting. Uh, I think in these games, you need him to be bang on. You need him to be fit, especially with the role he plays. I don't think it's one you can do by half measures. Uh, we saw with Atletico Madrid in the Champions League final a few years ago against Real, they went. They had a fantastic team that on the league but Diego Costa was an injury doubt ahead of the final if you remember and Costa started but had to go off injured in the first and as good as Atletico were that season that night when extra time came you know they'd, they'd use one of their subs up early and as you remember Madrid absolutely went to town on them in extra time ended up winning 4-1 and you know you, I wouldn't want that sort of thing to happen to Liverpool with Firmino and that's an issue Tottenham might have with K. Um so if Firmino's fully fit and ready to go. I don't think it's necessarily a case of match fitness, but if he can play 60 minutes to his high, highest standard, then it'll be, you know, obviously it'll be him on, in the centre, Marnie on the left, Salah on the right. If not, you'd probably expect it to be Divock Origi, but that in turn, I think, would see Mane move into the centre and Origi off the left. I think, I don't think Klopp's completely trusting in Origi to execute what he wants defensively from his centre forward I think he's more comfortable with the sort of role on the left um, and obviously that, that, that brings additional benefits to Liverpool in terms of Mane's pace against uh, Alderweireld and Vertonghen um, could be David Sanchez in a back three not sure but I, I, you'd assume that at least Alderweireld and Vertonghen will definitely be around there on the pitch so Mane's pace against those two could be crucial um, but equally Mane's been in sensational form do you want to just put Origi in the centre and match him up against Kieran Trippier who according to the Tottenham fans I follow on Twitter has been having a horrendous sort of uh, half season, six months. Um, but then again, equally sort of, you know, if you play Rigi off the left against Trippier, you've got that height advantage that maybe you can play on, can relieve some pressure. So yeah, it's going to be interesting. But I think, so it will be Alisson, Robertson, Van Dijk, Matip, Trent, Wijnaldum and Fabinho, probably Henderson, definitely Salah, definitely Mane. And then it sort of just falls on whether or not Firmino is fit. But I wouldn't expect to see any surprises by Klopp in terms of the style or formations we're going to see from Liverpool. And what about what about Tottenham? Do you, is there anything about them that, that maybe worries you or, or fears you a little? Like what what do you think could be the the way they could hurt Liverpool? I think obviously when you look at it, that they've got exceptionally exceptional attackers. They're they're blessed with really stunning pace and Lucas Moura, Sons, an excellent all round player um, who I'd, I'd love to see at Liverpool. Uh, like if, if we were to sell one of the front three this summer, I doubt we will. I'd happily see Son come in. Um, it, this, this is the thing. I think it's going to be tight, but I don't think Tottenham have got the skills to take Liverpool apart. But I do think they've got the skills to bed in, try and hit us on the counter and make us have a bit more of the ball than we perhaps like. I think it's sort of a trait that's been associated with Klopp teams throughout the years that Sometimes if you give them too much of the ball, that's a beneficial thing for your own team because you know the patterns of play become less reliant on sort of counter pressing. They can become a bit sort of predictable, um, and that could be Spurs' way. With obviously they've got a very strong defence, that could be their way of getting through us. Um, I I would really like to see Harry Kane start to be honest, because 
whilst I don't necessarily believe in the argument that Spurs are always better without we've seen him rush himself back from injury time and time again in the last two or three years it's always the ankle problem uh, and he very rarely is back to speed straight away and the prospect of um, Spurs starting that sort of laboured cane not having their attacking rhythm that they've had with Son and more in previous rounds and Liverpool being able to sort of gain dominance and get a lead that way I find a much more pleasant idea than sort of the proposition of what I think the alternative is, which would, I think, be one of the sort of more defensive midfielders with Sissoko, uh, Ali and Eriksen, and then Son and Mora. Because if Liverpool then sort of dominate the game, Spurs have got excellent outballs on the counter with Ali making those sort of dangerous starting runs he can. I think that's probably a way that um, Spurs can get at Liverpool if sort of, you know, Henderson, Wijnaldum sort of a bit too eager to get forward and support the attack that Ali's late runs aren't trapped. We've seen that's a way he gets his goals routinely for years now. Uh, and obviously, the thing is, if Spurs do that, then they've got Kane and Lorente off the bench later on together. I'd happily have, I'd happily back Van Dijk against either of them. You know, aerially, I think the statistics prove Van Dijk, whether or not you agree, is the best centre back in the world. He's definitely up there, and aerially, he's the statistics show he's the most dominant centre back in the world. So I'd back him against Kane or Lorente. But if Spurs need a goal, if they want to put the pressure on, and they've got, they send Kane and Lorente on at the same time, you know, he can't mark two men at once. I think that could be a real dangerous threat, regardless of how fit Kane is, because you know you can send him on for 15, 20 minutes and know that he'll be a menace and do a job and bring others into play with his link-up play. So I'm hoping to see Kane start, as strange as it might sound. I'm hoping to see him start mainly because I just don't think he'll be fit and I think it'll be to the detriment of Spurs. Um, but I, I really, I quite kind of fear Deli Ali and what he can do if left not properly trapped in the midfield and that's if I was clock that had been sort of the main threat I'd be looking to neutralise alongside sort of just the obvious ones of you know don't give some young men room to shoot don't let Lucas Moura have half the pitch to run at you know empty that kind of thing yeah um so Liverpool I think they beat Tottenham twice in the Premier League this season and obviously finished 26 points ahead of them so Liverpool are going to be looked upon as favourites but do you think they, they, they're really as hot a favourite or do you think that the familiarity between the two t- sides might make it a bit more even? Yeah, 100%. I, I Obviously, yeah, so, listen, Tottenham in the Premier League season have been inconsistent. They've lost a lot of games they shouldn't have done. They might have arguably won some games they shouldn't have done. You know, They've been a bit of a mess uh, and it's been their European run that's been you know, the sort of cornerstone of their season. But I don't think the league table really does Tottenham justice when it comes to talking about how good each team is. I think in the Premier League there's a clear best two teams in Liverpool, Man City, but then I think Tottenham are in their own little group ahead of Chelsea, Manchester United, Arsenal. I don't think that Spurs, you know, Spurs obviously finished fourth in the end and finished you know, within three, three, four points either side of Chelsea, Arsenal, United all around them. I don't think Spurs are in that group. I think they're better than that and I think they've shown on their day they've given Man City troubles that Tottenham uh, sorry that Chelsea Chelsea, uh, Arsenal United couldn't so consistently and yeah I think the betting odds I think have got Liverpool sort of uh, 1-2 to on to win the trophy and Spurs 6-4 to I think that's maybe a little kind towards Liverpool yeah I can see why we're favourites obviously but I think what you mentioned about the familiarity between the two teams there was an excellent article on Twitter earlier in the week. I think it was uh, Jonathan Lyo uh, regarding sort of the topic of all nation Champions League finals. Yeah. And I think um, 
the, the team that's come, that there's been six, I think, since the uh, 1990s. And I think all all the all but one have gone to extra time. And I think it's an even split between the teams that won, um, that the teams sorry finished higher in the league compared to the teams finished lower. So obviously the last one was uh, Real the Atleti, uh, and Atletico won the league that year. But what prior prior to that it was um, Bayern v Dortmund again uh, didn't go to extra time but was settled in the last minute. Manchester United, Chelsea in the late 2000s went to extra time. And I think the familiarity tends to make for a scrappy affair because it makes it less... In the eyes of the players, I think, and how they feel that they're seen throughout Europe as a result, it's much less of a free hit, especially for Liverpool players, because, you know, as you say, we've beaten them twice this season. We finished 20-odd points above them. We're expected to be, be the better team. We should be the better team. We should win. But, you know, Spurs know us so well and will do often give us a good game that... It really throws it up in the air. The only thing in terms of the, the, the piece on uh, the All Nation Champions League finals that gave me hope um, was that I think the what, what was said was that the t- team with the European pedigree. You know what you said earlier about how Liverpool, you know, it's in the eyes of someone back where we belong. The team with the European pedigree tend to come out on top. So if you look at Real Madrid triumphing over Atletico, United triumphed over Chelsea. Um, Bayern triumphed over Dortmund. Uh, the early 2000s, AC Milan were... Juventus had won the league that year, but AC Milan obviously had that pedigree. They overcame Juventus in the final, and it's sort of things like that. Obviously, you know, you can argue about how you know tangible it is and whether it has any impact or whether it's just a coincidence. But maybe that sort of feeling, combined with the idea that Liverpool will go into it confident, feeling they're the better team, uh, might have some sort of influence. And that's the thing. I think Liverpool from what the players have been saying before the game, there's a real feel in the Liverpool camp. Whilst a year ago, it was a great achievement to get to Kiev. Uh, and, you know, whilst we, whilst it was a loss, it was just brilliant to be there in the first place. I think there's more of an expectation this season. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I don't necessarily think that the players going into it with a mindset of, you know, we deserve to be here. This is our level. Mm-hmm. You know, we expect to win. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Um, and hopefully, obviously, from my perspective, that'll transform into a dominant performance on the pitch. And uh, hopefully we can sort of do to Tottenham what, what uh, Chelsea did to Arsenal the other night. But uh, maybe that's wishful thinking on my part because Tottenham have got a much better defence than their North London rivals. I think uh, from my my perspective, like I'm genuinely in neutral. I've no sort of attachment to Liverpool or Tottenham. And obviously, you know, I'd be watching the game, hoping for a good match. Because obviously, because you know it's it's the sort of marquee event in the the European football. Um, but the familiarity it, it does it does concern me. Like obviously, if you you've nine times out of ten, if you watch a Tottenham match or nine times out of ten, you watch a Liverpool match, you're going to get a good game. But I, I do fear that it's going to be a sort of case of the two teams maybe over a, a bit more respect for you know, a bit too much respect for each other, but hopefully hopefully I'm wrong and it ends up being a being a great game. But uh, just uh, just before we finish, Sam, what is your prediction? What do you think is going, going to happen? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, I do think it could, it has the potential to be cagey, but I'm going to be positive. You know, I've seen, I've seen Liverpool, I've seen the Gerrard slip, I've seen the League Cup final loss on penalties, I've seen us throw away the Europa League, I've seen Arius throw the ball into the net to throw away the Champions League. I've seen us get 97 points and still not win the league. And each time sort of going into those games or those runs, I've been kind of sceptical about how, how we're going to do it. But this team 
is the best Liverpool team I've ever seen in my lifetime. I've got I've spoken to fans sort of an older generation who say it's the best team we've had, regardless of what they've won or what they haven't won. It's the best sort of eleven we've had since the eighties. I think they've got a, I think they've got the mentality down. I think they've got the right players in the right positions and the manager to do it. I think Klopp is going to end his European sort of finals hoodoo. Um and I think we're going to win two by two goals to one. But I think it, whilst it might be a cagey match, I think the, uh, I think from a neutral point of view for yourself, I think the tenseness of either team having a one goal lead into that sort of final 10, 15 minutes is going to make for some wild football, which obviously you can get when two sort of high pressing teams go up against each other. And I, I, I think it's going to be tense. I think it's going to be horrible for my stomach as Liverpool. But no, uh, I, Putting my putting my hat on it, I, I think we're going to win. Okay. Um, have you any any plans to watch it anywhere? Are you going out or are you watching it at home? Or yeah, I've got a few friends coming. So I'm uni in Liverpool, um, which has worked out quite nicely because in the two years I've been at university, we've reached two Champions League finals. Uh, so we've got we're off to a it's this thing that's a group of Liverpool fans have sort of set up. It's called Boss Nights, and they put on sort of music. You might have seen some of the songs and. Stuff on Twitter, they put on these big events and they've got some really talented musicians, you know, singing, having a bit of a dance before the games, and then after the game on a big screen. So uh, we've got tickets to one of them in town, and then hopefully, hopefully a big night in town will follow a sixth European Cup, and hopefully a nice big parade and a lot of uh, beer will, f- will follow on Sunday afternoon. But uh, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, well, I uh, do, do genuinely wish uh, wish you good luck. Obviously, it'll be. It's it's obviously the the biggest game in in football. Um, as I say, I hope it's a good game. I wish Liverpool luck. I wish you luck. Hope you have a good weekend, enjoying the game and that there. And obviously, thanks very much for coming on to the podcast. I'll hopefully maybe have you on again. Um, discussing the uh, discussing Liverpool, maybe either as European champions or um it's back to back European yeah. runners up. Buzz yeah, let's <laughs> prospect uh, of that. But no, mate, it's I, been, I, I been great. To come on, thanks for having me. I didn't say that, but no. Uh, th- thanks for thanks very much, uh, Ollie, and uh, we'll uh, we'll chat soon. Okay. So that was Ollie um, giving his thoughts on the game on Saturday night. So just before I go, um, my own opinion on the match is, I think it's going to be a tight game. Uh, Liverpool's obviously the favourites to win due to, you know, they've won the last two against Spurs and they finished so far ahead of them in the league. But in Mauricio Pochettino, I think they have a very, very good coach. Not to say that Jurgen Klopp himself isn't a very good coach, but sometimes in these bigger games, I just think Pochettino might be more likely to have something up his sleeve. And I think that we're going to be in for a long night. I don't see a lot of goals, unfortunately, and I wouldn't be surprised extra time, possibly even penalties. Liverpool, I think, might just have a little bit more in terms of uh, you know that, that big game experience, which I think could possibly see them over the line. But it's not going to be easy. I don't see it being as comfortable as the, as the Europa League final was between uh, Chelsea and Arsenal. But uh, I do think Liverpool will probably just have enough to get across the line. But uh, anyway, wherever you're, wherever you're watching the game, enjoy it. Um, hopefully it will be a good game, although obviously sometimes these, because they're such big occasions, sometimes they do uh, do tend to be 
tint affairs but uh, hopefully you all enjoy the game hopefully you've enjoyed this podcast and uh, got some good insight from Aviva and Oli uh, on the game itself and uh, until next time thanks for listening and enjoy the game on Saturday and I'll be back next week with hopefully um, if all goes to plan a look ahead at some of the internationals that are coming up this summer Okay, so thanks for listening. Goodbye.